0: Another day, another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream, and you can holler really Hi folks, this is Jack Spearkin with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, Or even if they don't. And today, once again, I am not mobile. I am at home. Because there was an ice storm that uh, hit Dallas-Fort Worth pretty hard. Uh, But odds are, there's quite a few of you out there who saw ice last night too. I posted a picture on the forum last night of a radar shot of this ice storm. And this wasn't the worst ice storm I've ever seen, obviously. It was really not that bad around here. In fact, here in Dallas, we didn't really get a lot of freezing rain and ice. What we mostly got was sleet, so it's made the roads treacherous and all, but it could have been a lot worse. There's ice in the trees, but it's just enough to be pretty. We didn't get that heavy icing that causes the trees to drop. I'm sure they did in other parts of the country. The interesting thing about this ice storm, though, and the reason that I posted that photo on the uh, on the forum, and you can see it in the uh, the photos and videos and all uh, blog, and I'll put a link to it from the show notes if you want to take a look at it. But last night, about 10 o'clock, when I went to weather.com uh, and pulled up the radar shot that I posted, this storm ran uh, from almost all the way out in West Texas. I mean, almost out to the New Mexico border right through the uh, northwest corner of Arkansas into Missouri and Tennessee. And I'm sure it pushed on eastward all through the night. But it actually ended um, right around the Washington, D.C. to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. So what we had was a band of ice running from New Mexico to Pennsylvania over 2,000 miles of ice. And... uh, you know, what I posted in the forum about that, folks, is this is one of the reasons that we prep. Now, last night we didn't have, you know, uh, a Red Dawn invasion. We didn't have a terrorist attack. We didn't have a massive hurricane. And we didn't have anything that probably is going to disrupt people in uh, the worst case scenario for maybe three or four days and then down here in Texas, uh, we didn't even lose power. I think we have about eight thousand people without power, which that could be any that could be the middle of the summer uh, with no storms whatsoever with the, with that type of a, a small outage in a metro area with six million people so uh, down here it wasn't that bad I'm sure there's places where it was worse, but I'm sure there was nowhere from what I've seen on the news. Uh, where, you know, people are completely iced in forever and they're going to be there for three weeks or something like that, at least not this storm. But even in this minor storm, you look at the disruptions that we have and the potential for it to have been far worse and how widespread it was. And think about this. If instead of mostly sleet, if this storm had been all ice and if that 2,000-mile swath had taken out lots of power between here and Pennsylvania. We could have a pretty, um, disrupted day going on right now. And, uh, plenty of people out there probably do have pretty disrupted days going on. So, this is just a general, everyday occurrence that if you have enough food in the house and it all, you know, like yesterday we talked about different ways to keep your house heated if you lose power or if the furnace goes out or what have you. You have those things. This little event remains a little event for some people and i guarantee you there's people right now heading over to grandma's house where they have an old coal stove or something because they're in an area where the power did get knocked out and they don't have what they need to stay in their own home uh or there's people right now that are like man there's no food in the house we're, we're damn near empty we you know we, we're gonna go grocery shopping tomorrow and, and and like most americans we keep our pantry damn near empty and um you know, we can't get to the store right now. And fortunately for them, they won't be stuck very long. But if you're in that situation three days, becomes kind of a long time. So, you know, just look at things that happen around us every day. They don't always have to be catastrophes. And understand that this is why we do the things that we do. Uh, because, you know, this was going to be a little ice storm, and next thing you know, it's covering half the country. So, just on that think about this as we talk today and as we continue to go forward in our preparations. I do want to announce a couple things on today's show before I get into the subject, which is going to be some different ideas about kind of setting up a quick, fast, cheap bug out location um, that you can then maybe build on for later and some things that have been I've been asked about lately about those type of things. Um, before that, though, Here's the few things I want to announce. Number one, uh, I went ahead and set up a fan page for us at Facebook. So the Survival Podcast now has its own fan page on Facebook. Uh, if you'd like to be our fan over there, please come on over. I also have my own account there. So if you'd like to uh, to uh, be on Facebook with me and uh, connect with me on Facebook, please feel free to do so. Uh, just search for Jack because There's not that many of us over there, and you'll find me no problem. Uh, the other thing is if you like to uh, mess around with Twitter, uh, I'm like, even though I'm in a technology world, Twitter's one of these things that like I see how hot it is and how big a deal it is to everybody and it's not really that enthralling to me, but, uh, decided to get with, with the, uh, the, the, the pay, so to speak, and, uh, We are now uh, on Twitter, so you can follow us on Twitter. There's a badge right on the site to follow us on Twitter. Also, I want to remind everybody, we do now have a call-in number. I've had a few people call in since I fixed the technical problem we were having, and I have some great questions lined up, and I'm going to try to gather them together and do one show maybe next week that's just answering questions straight through and see how that goes. Uh, But the number to call in a question or a comment, 866-65-THINK. Again, eight six six sixty five. think So those are some uh, cool things. And again, I want to remind you, Friday I'm giving away slings from SOE Tactical Gear. So make sure you tune in Friday to play the listener appreciation game. Uh, Just had one of our long-term listeners, moderators on the forum say, Hey Jack, I wish you'd go back to just randomly drawing someone. Well, folks, there's like 700 people in the contest now. And it's kind of hard to randomly draw one of 700. And then say, so-and-so won. And then they gave me bad information and... You know, then I gotta like okay. Well, so and so didn't win, so I'm gonna do it again and that type of thing. Um, so I'm gonna keep doing it the way I'm doing. It. What I do want to point out though is what I snap to really quick is the problem some of y'all have, which is you know when when I give something away, people that listen early maybe have an advantage. That's no different than a radio, though, folks. But what I try to do is give away at least two prizes on every contest day instead of one. And, you know, I do things like I'll take Respondent 20 and Respondent 100 or 80 or 120. And a lot of times when I do that high number, I want you guys to know it's worth playing later in the day. The last time I did it, my last winner uh, came in about 8.05 Central Standard Time. 8.05 Central Standard Time at night. Alright, so uh yeah, if you listen to the next the next day, like if you're listening to uh a Thursday show on a Friday, yeah, it's 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 a done deal. But as long as you listen somewhere in that time frame, you probably have a chance and hey, send an email, you never know, you just might win. So I wanted to point that out as well. So now let's get into today's topic, uh, about remote bug out locations. And let's start out with kind of what a perfect bug out location would be. Well, a perfect bug out location would have uh, a, a house of some sort, a full, full-size full structure that you could comfortably live in. It would be fully stocked. It would have all the food you need for six months waiting there for you. Uh, it would have immediately the ability to be growing your own food when you get there. It would have alternative energy supplies like photovoltaic solar systems, uh, a, a photovoltaic, uh, driven well, so it would pump water whether you lost power or not Uh, it would be as completely independent from the grid as possible it would definitely have a well, it would have surface water uh, if at all possible it would be in a remote location it would be completely fully paid for you would have no debt on it and you could go there and live right now if you chose to and uh, completely disassociate yourself with the world if that's what you chose to do that's a perfect bug out location now where is up to you you know, exactly how is up to you. But my point is that most people look at that and go, yeah, I don't, I haven't paid for my house that I live in yet. And uh, I can't live like that yet. I want to have a job that's in a city or a town or be in your family full time right now. And I'm not ready to go live that way for whatever reason. And the, the, the prospect of actually setting something like that up seems completely out of reach. And you know me on debt. I'm big on let's not go into debt when we don't have to. So what you have to realize is if, if that's what you want, and, and again, I never want to tell a person what they want, and I don't think every American has to have a bug out location. I don't think it's possible uh, just with uh, inventory alone. But if you are kind of a survival-minded person, if you own a piece of property that you can go to, it becomes a vacation spot for you. And beyond that, it's an investment, and then beyond that, you're aware of the things that can go wrong, and you do have some place to go. So, you have to start looking at, well, if I want this, and I keep waiting to do anything at all, if I just keep, you know, like doing the one day I'll retire bit, well, it's kinda of like, you know, I'll get life insurance when I'm 65 and I'm close to death. Well, what if you die at 40? Well, if you're waiting... To, excuse me, folks, I'm still nursing this uh, cold. If you're waiting till you're 60 to retire and get your bug out location, what if the shit hits the fan for you personally or for us nationally in the meantime? You, again, have no place to go. Now, bugging in will often work. You do the best you can. You do your suburban homesteading, and that's all good and well. But wouldn't it be nice if you did have a place to go. Wouldn't it be nice if you were building something somewhere else? Wouldn't it be nice if even if one day you decided all the survival stuff wasn't worth your time anymore, but you still had this remote piece of property that was an investment and it had gone up? And see, the longer you wait with real estate, and I know it's down right now, but the economy will turn around um, unless it goes into oblivion. And if it goes into oblivion, you really need a bug out location. And if it doesn't, then you've got a good investment, You see, it's kind of one of these no-lose situations, and that's what we try to set up for ourselves. So how do you bridge the gap? Where do you start? Well, there's a a couple ways that you can do this. one thing you can do, and this this is kind of what I did. I looked for a place that was so affordable uh, that with my income, I could just pretty much not even worry about making payments on it. I could just buy it with a conventional 30-year mortgage, pay on the mortgage as long as I felt like, and um, initially, I actually put a tenant in it, my uh, my niece and nephew. So I knew since it was family and the opportunity presented itself to do that, uh, they were living in the area anyway, that I could go there as a bug out if I had to uh, because it was my place and I had family in it. So that was a little hybrid for a while. We did that for about three years. So we had three years of a 30-year mortgage paid for by somebody else. Um, and then when they moved out, they said, do you want us to help you find someone locally? We said, no, 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 we, we're... Frankly, we're happy to see y'all move out, honestly. We want the place to ourselves now so we can start making it our own. And uh, we went from there. Now, to do that, I had to make a few kind of concessions in what I would want because uh, I couldn't get everything I want. What I wanted was I wanted to be able to shoot a gun in my backyard. I also wanted to be able to do some some farming. Um, so, you know, obviously the best thing would have been a couple hundred acres of flat land with bottom land and creeks where I could do some real heavy farming and all. And that wasn't possible with the budget that I had available. So what I looked for is, well, what can I get? And what I ended up finding was a very well-built, almost brand new mobile home. I mean, the guy had had it set up, um, jeez, I guess about six months earlier. He was getting married, uh, the woman he was marrying had a, a home as well. So decided to pick the, you know, the one they wanted out of the two and sell the other. So we bought the other. And, uh, it was fi- you know, five acres, very remote road we eventually put a gate on, it's a great place. We have about a good acre of good flat ground that we can actually grow things on, so that's plenty for small-scale homesteading. I mean, if you look at what the Nervais did with a a, a fifth of an acre, and it's actually, you know, a a tenth uh, that they actually have cultivated an acre is quite a bit of ground for the individual survivalist. Um, And I could shoot a gun in my backyard. And I was able to do all that for under $75,000. Now, obviously, I would rather have a site-built home than a mobile home, but, you know, you have to make concessions where, and as you see fit, we had to find something that we could reasonably go up to once a month or once every other month, so about five-hour drive was our limit on that. We were able to find all those things and and come up with something that worked for us. But if you don't have, you know, for some people, they're living in a $75,000 home, and they have to struggle to make that mortgage. So... That option of doubling their housing payments is not really a good option. Now, one of the things you'll find with these rural locations is if I bought a house here in Arlington for $75,000, and there's some of them out there, especially right now with the market being down, um, my payment would be in the neighborhood of around $850 to $900 dollars. A month because it would also include insurance but the big thing would be taxes for the the city around here my payment on the $75,000 house in Arkansas is right at like 475 bucks with everything included and uh, we've actually working on getting that down now because we've had it long enough to get out of PMI so we're gonna have a payment in the neighborhood of like 440 bucks uh, pretty soon so it's not exactly doubling even if you had a seventy five and, and a and a and another seventy five thousand dollar home. So it is one thing to look at and run your numbers and know what you how much you can afford before you buy. You have to have those numbers pinned down. And you really cannot do this when you're mired in a lot of debt. They might give you the loan. Even today they might give you the loan, but you don't want to do it. You want to get rid of the consumer debt first before you do something like this. Now the upside of this is for us, let's say um, shit hits the fan personally for me and I'm going to lose a house. Well, I'm going to lose this house that I'm sitting in right now. I'm not going to lose that house because that was going to cost me less to keep. And frankly, the bank can get the keys in the mail. And I don't think I would ever come to that. But if it did, it did. And at least I have the option. I mean, that's the big thing. There's an option here that wouldn't be available to many people. I can go somewhere else. The housing cost there is almost nothing. And I could honestly take money that we have put away and what's left out on it. I could probably just pay it off and and be done with it, at least have a place to stay that would always be mine. So, well, what do you do if you can't quite take that kind of a step yet? It's too financially uh, uh, risky for you, or you it's not responsible for you to do that, but you want to do something. Well, what you can start looking for is raw land. And it's amazing the deals that are out there right now on raw land. And again, you have to start thinking, though, well, what do you really want? So what you're looking for is a piece of land that's accessible in your mind of what's accessible. You want to really think about this from a standpoint of can I get grid power to the place and how much money is that going to cost me? Usually the power utility companies will come to a certain point and they'll say, okay, anything beyond this, it's going to cost you you're going to have to have the lines installed. So you really need to check it out. I know a lot of us have the dream of living completely away from the electrical grid. But especially during a time as you're building up your location, having grid power if it's available is really beneficial, especially if you're going to do what I'm going to say next. Because if you can find land that has a decent uh, accessibility but gets remote enough for what you want, has the potential to be homesteaded into what you want it to be as a bug out location, has the ability to bring power to it, and then has the ability to bring water to it, you're in really good shape. If you have to put a well in, you have to put a well in. But let's say you go ahead and you put your well in and go ahead and put a septic system in and go get yourself an old travel trailer, the biggest, cheapest thing you can afford, and put it there. At that point, you actually have a reasonable place to go bug out to. Now, the biggest danger that you have is heavy storms, you know, tornadic activity and things like that. But other than that, you have a pretty good place. You know, the thing about travel trailers is people buy them. They use them nowhere near as much as they ever thought. They sit around, they get sold. About the second time that they get sold, you really can get good deals on them. I looked yesterday on Craigslist and found one here locally. It was a 30-foot travel trailer. It was in really good shape. It was only about 8 or 9 years old, and it was $5,000. Now, a 30-foot trailer is a pretty good little bug-out location for 5K, And I guarantee you, if you look hard enough, you can probably find a decent piece of land that meets criteria that would be agreeable to you for about five grand. So now you're talking about a $10,000 investment. Now, you're you're probably not going to get a mortgage for $5,000 worth of land. You're probably going to have to buy it. And you're probably not going to be able to get financing on a $5,000 motorhome. You're probably going to have to be able to buy it. But you could buy the land one year and the mobile home the next year. Um, you may be able to get financing for that. You may be able to put money down and then pay the the balance off. But it's probably something that's in the realm of something anybody can do. Now, you look at the cost of a well and a septic system, you're adding several thousand more. But for under fifteen grand, you could set up a place like that completely paid for. And I know right now you're thinking, I've looked for land and I've never found anything that affordable. Well, you're probably not going to find that at Realtor.com you might find some decent land in missouri and arkansas maybe some in tennessee on a united country but where you're really going to find land like this is you're going to have to kind of pick the area first and start getting a hold of local newspapers go to the tax office look for land that's in already in some maybe some tax trouble uh, you're going to have to talk to maybe local real estate agents and say look i'm just looking for a couple acres for about five thousand dollars Do you know of anything that's on the market uh, different things like that. And, again, don't limit yourself to a couple acres. You do what makes sense for you and find out what the going rate on land is. Right now, the going rate on raw, raw land, for instance, in the Hot Springs area, is about $3,000 an acre. Uh, so if you budgeted $9,000 for land, you can you know, reasonably expect to find about nine acres in that area once you get out kind of remote away from the city, which is where you'd want to be anyway. If you move a little further out, there's some places up that way where land raw land is going for maybe twelve hundred dollars an acre. If it's not accessible with electricity, it's even less than that. But again, I unless you're ready to just go and turn up all the systems right away, I really kind of caution you to that. Power is is the one thing uh, that really makes life uh, a, a lot more worth living as long as it's available to you. Um, so i'm really a big fan of the philosophy if you can't go to buying a structure that's already there be it an older home or a barn or uh... anything like that if you're gonna kinda transcend a time period where you might build one day uh, of the travel trailer now somebody called in and asked me a question uh, on the hotline about shipping containers and the housing that people are building with shipping containers and using shipping containers to build yourself a bug out facility I'm going to actually do a show on shipping containers as a whole. And I'm talking about these big shipping containers when you look at a, like a ship coming in from uh, China, bringing all their crap in, and you see these huge containers that are basically lifted with a crane and dropped on a truck flatbed and then hauled like a semi to wherever they're going to go. And there's millions and millions and millions of these things just laying around right now. And it's because of our trade deficit. In other words, we ship so little out compared to what we ship in that manufacturers that are shipping products to us are just budgeting the cost of the container in the shipment and they're just basically abandoning them here so they can go out and be salvaged and you can get a uh, kind of a lightly used shipping container right now uh, delivered in most areas for about four thousand dollars and you might think well what am I going to do with a big steel box well the thing about that steel box is very very durable uh, if it is welded down to a concrete foundation with embedded steel, it could probably take a direct hit from a tornado and just stand it. Uh, that's something that no trailer, travel trailer, mobile home, and most site-built homes don't have going for them. Um, the thing is, there's not much to them when you get them. They require a lot of work to convert into kind of a dwelling or a structure that you'd actually want to live in, but they sure as hell are a starting point. Another thing about them, though, is they are, since they're steel, in the summertime, they are generally hot as all god-awful hell. And in the wintertime, they're cold as all hell. Steel is not a great insulator. It's a transfer unit for uh, temperature. You put cold on one side of it, it transfers it to the other. You put heat on one side, it transfers it to the other. Well, there are thermal coatings available now that can be sprayed on like paint. Uh, and those thermal coatings will give about an R22 factor uh, to, to these boxes, and a lot of houses don't have an R22 factor. So it can be done. I just want you to understand that. Okay, so I buy this this uh, this container that's eight feet, you know, wide, which is pretty narrow, um, by maybe 30 feet long for $4,000, and they drop it um, on my uh, property, and I have absolutely no furnishings in it, I have no fixtures, I have no water, I have no heat, I have no electricity, no electrical outlets, nothing is run, nothing is done. It just is a box. Now, it's a great shell, and if I were to do something like buy three or four of them and start to piece them together, I can actually make a really cool house, and I can actually do like custom building for way less than the cost of typical custom building. But if it's just a cheap bug-out thing, and that's what we're talking about today... All I have is a box. I could go out for $4,000 and buy a very nicely equipped little travel trailer. Um, if you looked at the pictures of Hal Dodd's bug out location, I think he bought his trailer for under $2,000. Uh, so for you, you, might be able to buy two different units and have uh, actually like a little compound started up uh, where if you took friends out there with you, you could actually give them their own place to go and you've got more storage space. So I just think unless you're really concerned about weather, you have a lot more flexibility and instantaneous, you know, livable conditions with the travel trailer route. Um, I've also been asked, well, what about just buying a piece of land and, and putting up a tent on it? You know, like a GP, you know, get a surplus GP medium tent. You can do that. It can be kind of cool for a day or two. If you're planning on spending any real time there, actually living there, you know, for more than two days at a time, probably not what you want to do and then the other thing about tents is you don't want to just leave them set up so you're talking about putting them up and taking them down every time you go Um, when you put up a GP medium tent which is kind of a standard large uh, tent for uh, you know US military use, there's a lot of them for sale You get pretty good deals on them run you about a thousand bucks actually and you have uh, 12 guys a military unit that know what they're doing that have put them up before pretty simple pretty fast uh, there's actually quite a bit of weight to the material. Uh The cross beam that goes across the top of the tent is a big old hunk of timber. Uh, so if you're trying to do it with two or three people, it's very, very difficult, and it is absolutely impossible, uh, at least in my view, for a single person to put up a tent like that. So I, I don't think the tents are the way to go. Now, if you want to buy a piece of land and run up there once in a while with your dome tent, pop up your dome tent, have some, you know... Uh, power inverters from your vehicle and just camp there, that's great. And it might be a good first step. But if you're going to invest any real money in any kind of structure, I, I wouldn't go with a tent. I think you're kind of short-selling yourself there. The advantage of a tent is its mobility. So if you were looking for a big structure that you could take to different locations, tents kind of got an advantage there. Um, the travel trailer will go too, but tents are... You know, they're a lot wider. There's a lot more space available to a tent. Uh, And these these heavy canvas military tents, if you get yourself a good uh, wood stove that's designed to work with them, uh, you can keep them very, very warm inside. And uh, summertime, the best you can do is hope for some some electricity and a fan. Uh, And They can be pretty miserable in the summer. I slept in one for six months in Honduras, and during the daytime... When those temperatures were high, you didn't even want to go inside them. They were absolutely miserable. You looked for a shade tree or the shade of the vehicle. In fact, we actually used to take the foil packs of our MREs in the mornings, and we would throw them up on the roof of our tent. And By the time we would eat lunch, they would be steaming hot. Sometimes you'd pull the packet down, and you could actually feel it vibrating. It would be vo- boiling a little bit. That's how much heat that canvas sucks up. So not my first choice by a long shot. You know, my view, though, is the the key for you is to be at least looking. Uh, there's an old saying that shopping is free until you pull out your checkbook. And that could never be the case more than with real estate. So... You know, it's probably a good idea if you haven't started looking for a remote location yet and you actually want one. I mean, I can't tell you what you want, right? It's up to you to determine if this is what you want. This is how you want to spend your energy. But if you want one, start shopping for it. Start looking for areas uh, that meet your criteria for distance. Mine was five hours or less. Yours might be eight hours or less. You might be single and eight. If I were single, eight hours would be no big deal at all. I would probably. If I was single and it was eight hours away, I'd probably go more. Married. Dogs, kids, all kinds of arrangements to be made. Five hours is our limit. Uh, The size that you want, price that you can pay, look for the taxes that go on land around the area. One of the things I've said in other shows like this, one thing you really, really need to look at, if you're looking at a place with very low taxes, but it's near a city or a town that has much higher taxes... What are the odds that that school district or that city government will annex the location? You want to look for a place where if you were the city you'd go there's not enough people there, there's not enough money there, it's not worth having to provide service to these people in return for annexation. Uh because as soon as they annex it you've got, you know, now all of a sudden, hey, guess what? You get all this great new services and you know your our cops are going to patrol your your dirt road or whatever. Uh but here's a big he's a big bill to go with it. So, you know, kind of think about that as you're looking at these places. That's really a gotcha. I've seen it happen to some people. They went out, they bought a place, $80,000, this guy bought a place, paid cash for it. His taxes were like $250 a month or a year, right, way less than even mine up there, and, um, The city annexed it. His taxes went over $800 a year overnight, which isn't, you know, $800 a year for taxes is not the worst thing in the world. But what you know is as soon as that happens, now you're on a perpetual increase. It's going to always go up. And how long is it going to be before it's $1,500? Who knows? Maybe a couple years. So look at that. Uh, Again, be shopping Look, talk to people. I cannot overstate how important it is to find a good local agent in these areas that you've targeted and talk to them and say, you know, this is what I'm looking for. I don't have to find it overnight. Make sure they know you're... Because, look, here's the deal with this. If you're looking for five or $10,000 worth of land, that agent is going to make 1.5% probably on the land because they're probably not handling it direct. Everybody's a discount agent today. So, I mean... One and a half percent, okay. You do the math of $10,000 is $150. That's all that they're going to make on that. So you might even say, look, you know, I'm looking for a $10,000 piece of land. I know it's not that big a deal, but if you find me the right place, I'll give you a $500 cash bonus out of pocket on the side. Right? Uh, Because it's just not that much incentive. But what you want to make them understand is, look, I have the money. I'm ready to buy. There won't be any hiccups or any problems. You call me, the land's right, I come look at it, I make an offer, done. Right? You'll get a lot more traction that way. Uh, you might even tell an agent, look, a lot of the land like this out here doesn't even require an agent. If you find me a piece, I'll just give you a finder's fee of $500. bucks. you will probably get a lot more traction that way as well when you're looking at low-cost land. Find out all the local papers, most even the smallest towns today. Their local papers have all online versions of the newspaper. So start looking at their classified sections. That's going to get you to see a lot of things that you won't even be able to find elsewhere. Again, going there and going to the tax offices and saying, is there any land right now that's in default, behind on taxes? Usually they'll just give you that as information, those pieces of property. Drive around, look for pieces of property and go down to the tax office, find out who owns it. Contact them directly, make an offer. When you drive, you know, out in the country and you see like an old house with a tree growing through the roof, you know, write down that address. You might be able to pick up that house is probably useless, but it probably has septic and or sewer hooked up to it. It's probably got water and or a well, and it's probably got electricity available to it, and uh, you, a lot of times you'll track down a place like that, and you'll find out that it's in the tax default. Uh, kids were arguing over it. They thought it was more than it is. Now it's just they dilapidated. They just want to get rid of it, and they'll sell it for next to nothing. Getting creative and and shopping is a good way to uh, eventually find what you're looking for with a remote location like this. You know, just kind of summing up in the end, though, what you really need to put a premium on for yourself in a bug out location. A is some level of remoteness. Now, I've talked about this before, so if you've listened to the show before, you know that I'm not huge on you have to be a 1,000 miles from nowhere in the middle of the Rocky Mountains on the peak of a a high cliff where anybody coming up is going to be thrown boulders at or something like that. You don't need to be that remote. But you don't want to be on a main highway. You don't want to be on a main county road, right on a main county road, honestly, even. You want to be somewhere off of that type of a scenario. A place where you can have kind of a private road that you can put a gate on. That's a big deterrent to uh, people coming there. And it's a really big deterrent at a time when you might be in this interim state where you're not there all the time. Now, will gates keep everybody out? No. Gates will keep honest people out that could get into trouble, that shouldn't be there, right? And it'll keep a lot of the bad guys out, too, because they look at it and they go, I don't know what's on the other side of this gate. There might be dogs that bite. There might be an old man with a shotgun. Uh, it's just less attractive. It also impedes getting a vehicle in. So if, if the theft is the goal, and it usually is, then if you have a good gate that's difficult to breach, then it's, you know, what can I carry? And that's a lot less attractive to a lazy cr- criminal that wants to fence something for his crack rock tonight uh, than driving up to somebody's house and throwing stuff in the back of the truck. So those are some things to look at. Water is a huge thing. Is it a good area to put a well in? Uh, sometimes you'll find that, okay, this area is generally good for wells, but the area that I'm looking at has a heavy rock table, and it's going to cost me $5,000 more than a normal person to put a well in. Or since the altitude is so high, I'm going to have to go so deep, it's going to cost me a lot of money to put a well in. So you want to determine the cost of a well before you buy property if a well is what you want. And I'm going to tell you, you probably want a well. Even if you have city water available or county water available, you probably want a well. It's a big step for independence. Service water, huge. If you can have service water, that's a big deal. Enough flat, clearable land to do some of your own growing uh, and to start growing some permaculture crops as well. Uh Access to some wildlife is probably a good idea. One of the big things for me is i didn't if I would have had my you know total choice, I would have liked land that actually bordered a national forest or state forest or something like that um, i've got a national forest twenty minute drive away, and once you get to that national forest, you can walk from you know central Arkansas to Oklahoma in the National Forest. So that's another really nice thing to have as well. That's not so much for bugging out and shitting a the family. That's just a lifestyle thing, to have that type of public land available to you in a remote location that you can just go enjoy. So those are some of my things, and what you really have to determine are what are your things and what can you do uh, to kind of build for yourself that secondary location. Is it taking one giant step and buying something that's already built? and just need some fixing up and things like that, is it going the travel trailer on a piece of land route and maybe building something later? You know, is it the modular home route where you buy the land, you have the modular home delivered as a shell, and you slowly finish out the inside? There are so many ways to do things like this. I just read an article in Backwoods Home talking about how an 18-year-old right out of high school could basically spend two years and one year just working as basically an apprentice to every construction trade he can find, drywall, electrical, framing, Roofing. just go places, I'll work for minimum wage, I just want to learn, uh, live as cheap as possible, maybe even buying a travel trailer, sleeping in his travel trailer and traveling around the country, if that's what it takes, to get enough work and saving every penny that he can. And then spend the second year finding a piece of land, having a shell delivered and using the skills that he's learned to finish out his house. And maybe taking, it. yes, maybe a third year to fully finish out the house, start working a job wherever he's built his house. But at the age of 21, then instead of being in his third year of college, already sitting on fifty thousand dollars worth of student debt, he's got to pay for a paid-for house. And uh, there's and, you know if you're a young person, you'll never have more freedom than you do right now. And if you're a middle-aged person, you'll probably won't ever have the freedom you do now until you're retired, right? Today is probably going to be the most free that you'll ever be. The longer that we live in society, we deeper and deeper entrench ourselves into lives, jobs careers, and debt. So the time to act is always now. So my encouragement for you is if you want this, if this is something that's important to you, start shopping now. Don't just start dreaming now. Stop looking at the quarter million dollar estate with a horse stable on it if that's out of your reach. Start asking yourself what's in my reach. What can I buy today that I can turn into that quarter million dollar property tomorrow? And it'll probably open up some new avenues for you. Okay, folks, so that kind of wraps things up today. I, I do seem to be getting my voice back. I'm still cracking a little bit. I hope it's been worth bearing with me. I know the audio quality has been better in the last two days than, than it has been usually because I'm at home. I will be mobile tomorrow, so uh, those little uh, background noises will be back, and the audio quality will be a little bit less, but hopefully my voice will be completely back. Uh, again, please tune in Friday. Give the listener appreciation contest a shot. I promise you that it's going to be an early and a very late respondent that wins. If you haven't joined the contest already, please do so. I also want to finish today's show by announcing something really cool that's going on. Region 3, which is like uh, Georgia, the Carolinas, Alabama—all that on the forum—is putting together a big survival shindig. Uh, there's going to be a bunch of guys getting together, a bunch of guys and gals getting together out in about a hundred-acre cow pasture near Birmingham, Alabama, over a weekend. And they're planning on really—I mean—they're bringing generators in, they're bringing speakers in, uh, and I'm saying speakers, there's people to talk, music, food. Uh Tim Suggs is putting it together. Or Tim Suggs, I'm sorry, is putting it together. He's bringing in seafood from his uh, dad down in Florida. I mean, this is going to be a big deal, and I myself will be there. And we're even going to try to figure out how I can do a live broadcast from a field uh just uh, to the east or west, one or the other, Birmingham, Alabama, Uh with uh hopefully 100 or more. Uh, survival podcast uh, fans right there with me so that'll be cool I'm going to probably do a seminar on basic system striking and uh, we're going to try to set up some kind of an airsoft target competition uh, we're looking for vendors to provide some additional support maybe show up and be there this is going to be a big time fun event folks if you want to know more about it the show notes today I'll provide a link to uh, the thread in the forum we're running a poll there and it's not like pick one it's like pick everything that applies to you so we can try to make this event really cool I know for some of you, Birmingham, Alabama is a long way, and for some of you, it's not a long way. Uh, for some of you, it just doesn't geographically make sense. But if it does, please come on down. We're going to have a great time there. Uh, I am going to be there. I don't know what weekend it's going to be yet, but I've already committed I will be there uh, on site, and I will be part of this, and this is going to be really cool. It's about a 700-mile drive for me. I think that's worth it. I may have to jump on a plane or rent a car uh, just to make the timing work, but one way or another, I'm going to be there. I hope you're there, too. Um, so please show up for that if you can. The other regions, if you're like, why don't we have one? Well, folks, I didn't do this, right? If I did it, it would be like uh, in Texas, right? <laughs> or it would be like maybe in Arkansas or Louisiana or Oklahoma. Um, these guys put this together. They had it halfway, you know, assembled and all the arrangements made, and they started bringing people together, and then they told me about it. said, hey, will you come? I said, of course I'll come. So if you other regions want to do something like this, hey, you know, the been cast, who can uh, throw the biggest survival podcast get-together, and uh, I'll try to get to any of them. I can't commit, you know, off the cuff that I'll go to any of them, but I'll try to get to anything that's set up uh, by my fans like that, because I think it would be cool. Love to see one here in Texas, and you folks that are in Texas and Oklahoma, you know, come on out to Alabama with me. It's not that far for us I can do it. You can do it. Yeah, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life. Sometimes times get tough, or even if they don't. Makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream and you can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.